Welcome to the RSM Podcast Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about Rock Solid Ministries, our free revival service, printed materials, and devotionals, or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. My guest today is Rob Minto. Rob is the preacher at New Somerset Christian Church, and, and that is in New Somerset, Ohio. Is that right, or is it? It's really another town, isn't it? Another. Yeah, it's kind of a little, little hamlet outside of Toronto, Ohio, Steubenville, Ohio. Okay. Well, Rob, I don't know when we met, but I'm sure it was probably at one of those revivals I was preaching in the tri-state area. Um, don't remember when, uh, but around Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. It might have been West Liberty. Yeah, that's, that, that could have been it. However, our partners in Rock Solid Ministries, Greg and Lori Strickland, have known you for quite some time, and I'm sure you're going to tell us about that relationship with them. But uh, let's, just, let's just start by saying, Brother Rob, tell us your story. Well, I don't know too many people that might know where Steubenville, Ohio is, but I grew up in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, it's on the Ohio River. Yep, right on the Ohio North, River in the heart of what Ohio. used to be steel country. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I was younger, uh, my parents encouraged me to go to church. They weren't really particularly religious people, but we had a little church uh, called Lay Bellevue Church of Christ that was about a block away, and I would walk over there, and uh, it's kind of ironic now, I guess, uh, during the what we called the big people church, I used to try to hide because I didn't want to go. <laughs> I didn't want to listen to the to the preacher, but I wanted to go and, and go to the, I don't know, the youth group kind right. of thing that they had at 11 o'clock. So um, we, would, we would sneak around the building and things like that. And, it's a um, huge building. So it's a, it's a pretty of... big building, and we had a lot of hiding places, and a lot of it was fun. We, would, uh, we thought we were hiding from somebody. We always made so much noise they knew where we were. But um, I started out, I didn't want to go to, like, big people church, but after a while... Um, you know, I would go to church in the morning and go to Sunday school class and then go to the... How old would you have been? Oh, geez. Probably junior high. All right. And, um, and then I got involved with the church and got involved with the youth group. And then I started actually going, of course, to church. Right. Um, but I still didn't really know how I felt about that or how, you know, if I believed or not. Um, but long about the time I was getting ready to graduate high school, um, they had some stuff where they were doing some musical stuff. And I've always loved music. I played in the high school band and did stuff like that. So I kind of got involved in that. And um, you heard a lot about the gospel and the little musical play that they were doing. Right. And so I guess when you say the words over and over again and sing the words over and over again, you really start to think about what you're seeing and hearing. I'm a very, uh, some people, I tease my buddies, they tell me I'm obsessive. <laughs> Uh, so I would go over those words in my mind over and over, and I knew I was thinking at that point in my life, there's got to be more than just this. Right. There's got to be more than just getting up every day and doing whatever and going home and going to sleep and getting up and doing it again. And so I heard the message of, of Jesus quite a bit in that play, and then I went to Kentucky Christian College for a program they were doing called High School Days. And really, for me, it was just an excuse to miss school for three days. Sure. But when I got there, um, there was a singer named Larry Bryant and um, a speaker, Larry uh, sure. Tommy Oaks. 
I yeah. don't know if you remember Tommy. I sure do. Um, but he was talking about eternity. He had some sermon that he always did, and he talked about eternity. And Larry Bryant was singing songs that didn't sound like church songs. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, you was expecting the organ and the hymns, and and something about that music kind of spoke to me. So songs think, like Shopping List and yeah. some of those that, that really brought young people in. Yeah, they were toony, they were good, and they had lyrics that talked about God and Christ. There was right. a song, Crown of Thorns, and yep. um, different things. And, and it showed me a different side of what hearing the gospel and seeing the gospel was all about. And I've been involved in some way in music probably ever since then. Um, during that time, our minister was, was named Keith Short, and he noticed a little bit of my music talent. He encouraged it. And for a lot of time in my life, I felt kind of invisible, yeah. um, especially at church. I didn't fit in with the other kids. So for this person to take an interest in me and, and something that I enjoyed was, was big. And I didn't realize it at the time, but really it was his way of trying to disciple me. It's just the very word I was thinking. Yeah, and, you, yeah. And so here I am now. I'm hearing the words of the gospel through other people's songs. I'm starting to sing these songs i'm encouraged to do these things and so i made the decision to get baptized and there was a, a man behind the the curtain so to speak and his last name was mcgrew and i'll never forget this he says we're going to make a preacher out of you someday boy and that was about the funniest thing i'd ever heard <laughs> um, at that moment because i had no intention of being anybody's uh, preacher i was new in the faith and um but through their encouragement i continued to do music and then they wanted me to take the entrance exam for Kentucky Christian College. So I took their little test and they just kept encouraging me. So in January of 90, um, I packed up everything I had in a footlocker and went to Bible college to see what that was all about. But, but you had not planned on being a preacher even then? No, I thought I was going to study psychology or music or something like that. Right. Um, but just God has his ways. I can look at dozens of things that have happened in my life and think, boy, that was, that was different. God um, was always pointing you there and, and you didn't realize what he was doing to point you there. No, I mean, I was, I'd have probably been more like Jonah. I'd have ran yeah. um, because I didn't feel like I was good enough or special enough. I always thought it was something about the person that made a preacher a good preacher. And really, if, if you just got to be willing to be used that's what I've learned over time because I, there's no reason why I should be doing what I'm doing other than the fact that I allowed God to tell me where he wanted me to go. And I still can't explain it, but for some reason it works. And So did you spend four years at Kentucky Christian College? I was there probably five years because I met my wife while I was there. Uh. And so I kind of... Put the brakes on some things and slowed some things down. I just thought you were smarter, so you got because you could. Either go that, or I years. wasn't quite as smart, so I had to stay <laughs> longer. Um, but no. But while I was there, uh, I didn't have enough money, and the financial office called me in, and they told me I was going to have to go home uh, because there was just no way to explain. I was barely getting by all the time. Uh, yeah. There was no way to explain how I was going to account for this big school bill that I was about to run up. And they called me in and they said, if we can't figure out a way to do this, maybe you're going to have to take some time off. And I knew if I took time off, I'd never go back. Yeah. It's the case with a lot of people. And um, some of my friends come in the room 
the night before I was going to go home. And they were parked around my car. They had me blocked. And they said, don't go home until you give us a chance. And I'm like, whatever. I'm going home, packing my stuff. So they go around and they start to like ask people for donations. It was like the Jerry Lewis telethon or something. I felt like a project. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, this isn't going to work. You can knock yourself out and I appreciate it. You know, you're showing me a lot of love, but it's not going to work. And um, kids that didn't even know who I was were donating uh, to this Save the, Save the Preacher Fund or whatever it turned out to be. And um, they come in my room and they dumped coffee cans of change on my bed. And I was like, we're collecting money. And I'm like, that's not going to be enough to do anything. No, we're getting pledges. I mean, it turned into like a big project. And literally, I go into the business office the next day and sitting across from the business manager and, or whatever he was, the finance guy. And he said, this is all great and it's wonderful. He says, but there's a problem. And I'm like, I knew there would be because I'm the eternal optimist. Yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> I was sure there'd be a problem. Um, he said, my name's not on this list. And he wrote his name down and he said, if you've got this many people willing to give it a shot, he said, we'll give it a shot too. And I stayed in college and I met my wife not long after that. And your wife's name is Vivian. Vivian. And um, I met Vivian. She was studying social work. And the rest, as they say, is history. I guess it was funny because I did the bargaining thing with God. Well, if you find a way for me to stay in school, God, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. But I still had no idea that it would be anything with preaching. Anything you want, but I don't plan on preaching. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I'll sing you a lot of songs or I'll be a psychologist or whatever, but I. I didn't have any intention on it being preaching, but um, when you're in Bible college, you go out to a lot of little churches. Yeah. And you do a lot of little things, and, and I enjoyed just feeling useful, yeah. feeling like I was able to help. And these small churches embraced me and gave me opportunities to do a lot of different things. And some of those things was preaching because they don't always have a preacher. So when did you preach your first sermon? Do you remember? My first one was probably at Laybell under uh, Keith's... Uh, oh, back at your home church. Back at my home church when I, after I'd been at Bible college for a semester or two and I'd learned... For a semester. Then. Yeah, you know, after, <laughs> after I knew everything there was to know about life because that's... Well, that's usually what you know after, what you after, do. after a semester at Bible yeah, college. Yeah, semester at Bible college, you know it all. Yeah. And then you spend the next three and a half years realizing what you didn't know when you thought you knew it all. When you were telling everybody all, all that you knew. Yeah. Yeah. So and, did you, it was a Sunday morning, Sunday night? It was a Sunday evening, and it was a passage out of 1 Corinthians. Um, yeah. Talked about, you know. How did you feel after you preached that sermon? I didn't know how to feel, I guess. I felt good that people were willing to hear what I had to say, and I learned about Scripture and, you know, yeah. everything like that. But um, being struggling with being the eternal pessimist, um, yeah. I also was critical. Um, but I think it, it encouraged me to, to try some more. Mm -hmm. And it's funny to me now because every preacher that I've ever served under must have been cursed because they'd always leave and I'd end up preaching after they were gone. So <laughs> um, I served at a little church in Ashland, Kentucky. Um, I laughed about that because it was right across from the prison. And um, the, the minister graduated um, from KCC and... So I'm sitting there with the elders going, well, I wonder what these guys are going to do. And they're like, well, you're going to preach. 
And so I really cut my teeth and was learning at that little church in Ashland, Kentucky, while I was still in Bible college. And I'm sure they endured some pretty bad stuff. But. Oh, I think I, I look back now thinking I was a pretty good preacher. And, I, uh, I, I, and I've said this many times, I don't know why in the world my wife Beth would marry me realizing she's going to have to listen to that mess every Sunday for the rest of her life. <laughs> but because uh, we met in church, but she did, she did. And, and I'm, I'm grateful. And she uh, probably she had, well, not probably a lot. She had a lot to do with making me a better preacher. And it may have been because she didn't want to listen to that mess. For the, rest of my life. the incredible honesty that can come from our wives. They think that, uh, they think it all comes from us, but really, uh, Oh, we get an awful lot behind every good man. They mm-hmm. say, and, and I'm, I'm very grateful for my wife. So you were, uh, did you stay with that church in Ashland until you graduated? Yeah, I pretty much did. And then even for a little while after I graduated, I was kind of doing like a bivocational thing. Um, I found myself in the restaurant business a lot. I've delivered a lot of pizzas. I've eaten a lot of pizzas. <laughs> um, you know, worked in restaurant management and... Um, Serving those little churches in Kentucky, I just, I saw the, I saw the appreciation of folks. And sometimes they would pay you in ways that wasn't money, but you got paid. Yeah. You know, the encouragement that they gave you or just sitting down for a meal with you or, or um, one guy used to retread tires and he would retread my tires for me, you know, and, and it was just, I fell in love with those little churches that, you know, that they, they served me in ways that I couldn't serve them. These are the type of people that would come up to you. You didn't say, I need my tires fixed. They come up and say, you need retreads and I can do it. Yeah. And just did it, didn't they? He said, I don't want to read over you in a ditch somewhere. I'd rather just fix your tires because my tires were bald probably. Yeah. <laughs> he called yeah, student. I, I, I drove on a lot of bald tires early on in the ministry. Sure did. And, and so that, that kind of opened my eyes to see that God would care enough that you know, I thought I was going home, and God made a way. Yeah. And um, even after I saw all those things, though, I was so hard-headed. I went other places, and I was still, I'd rather be a music guy, or I'd rather be this, or I'd rather be that. And, um, but then I went to a church in Lexington, Kentucky, and a similar situation happened where the, the minister was leaving, and I filled in a little bit uh, there. Um, and while I was doing that, a church called me for the first time full-time ministry that I ever had in Richmond, uh, Kentucky, and I did youth ministry there. Which, um, which church was that, Richmond? It was called Big Hill Avenue Church. Big Hill Avenue was Big Hill Church of Christ? It is Big Hill Church of Christ now. That's what probably. it is now. Yeah, but it was Big Hill Avenue because it was on Big Hill Avenue, and now it's Big Hill and I think one of the fellows that does music for some of your revivals was going there for a while or is going there. He called there. me just a few minutes before you got here for this, uh, to ask me a few questions. He's, he was with me the last two weeks down in Mississippi and, and uh, in Kentucky. The building that, they were, that they're meeting in now, they were actually making the plans to move to. And it was just a big field that we ran through as kids, but it's, the church is there now and I've gotten to see it. And that was a blessing to be able to see that after... We, I always say when I sit and talk to someone on this program that it is true you're only six people away from somebody you know. And I, 
I find out from guys that, oh, I used to preach here or there, and I, I know those people. I've been there, and, I, and even before I was a preacher, a, a, a full-time evangelist uh, on the road, I knew that church, and I knew this church, and, and uh, I never would have known Big Hill had it not been for Brian Goins, who works with me. And now to find out you were there, that was your first full-time youth ministry. Yeah, uh, a friend of mine named Mark was the minister there at the time, and we'd been friends in Bible college, and um, we met in passing at a some ministry event, and he said, what are you doing these days? And I said, well, I'm kind of doing this or kind of doing that. And he says, well, we're looking for a youth minister. You know, would you like to come check it out? I was there about three, three and a half years um, and met some really good people, uh, people that I still care about, you know, to well, this day. Now, see, this is amazing to me, Rob, because youth ministry scares me more than preaching does. You know, uh, I've, I've always gotten along great with the youth in, in my churches where I've been preacher, but I didn't, even when I was a teenager, I wasn't good with teenagers, you know? But, but as, a, as a preacher, I've always gotten along great. They come out, they hug me, we talk. Uh, we always get along great. But, but this week-to-week -week thing, how some men get nervous about week-to-week -week preparing a sermon, for me, week-to-week -week preparing a, a youth lesson was scary to me. <laughs> so I think that's, that's the thing that you were preaching and you were able to make that shift over. I mean, you'd done a lot of preaching and then all of a sudden we need a youth minister and you went and became a youth minister. Yeah, I kind of, that's been my thing. It's just like wherever there's a need. Yeah. I always call myself a jack of all trades, master of none. You know, I always thought of myself that way, wherever there's a need. Like the, one of those Gerber knife things, you know, that's got the pliers on it and the knife. That's the kind of guy I always wanted to be. I never wanted to be the, the preacher. Never had any desire to be the preacher, but God led me to that spot eventually. Um, but the thing I loved about working with youth is that they're just, if you can get past that original barrier, they're just so real. Yes, yeah. And I, I guess for me, it, it was always, I'm just being honest here with you. For me, it was always, I can get past that sitting down in a chair talking with them. But it seems like I, I, I was never able, I never felt like I'd get past that as a youth leader. Because in some small churches, I had to do both, you know. And I never felt comfortable doing that. But now if I had them in my home, we're sitting around just talking. And, and that's really what a youth leader is in, in a lot of ways, just making that relationship. But the programming of it, I guess, is maybe where I, I, I faltered. I, I not only felt like I faltered, I have to say I did falter. It was not, it was not my gift. I had a little bit of ability, but absolutely no gift in that area. And my, my problem was the opposite. Um, I think one of the reasons I ended up leaving Big Hill, which I know was one of the reasons I ended up leaving Big Hill, was because I was very gifted at the relational side and not gifted at the programming side. Well, you know, and see, that's what I'm saying. Mine, mine was too, yeah. The same you know, and one of the greatest compliments I ever got was from a kid at that church. Um, I don't want to get emotional talking about it, but he said... Uh, he said, you never made my high school problems feel like high school problems. Wow. And it that was is a one great the, compliment. It was one of the greatest compliments I had ever received because I would try to tell parents all the time, you know, you call it puppy love or you call it this or you call it that. It's the first time they've had these emotions and they're real. Yeah. And if you think back to when you were that age 
And I think that if I have any gifts, um, empathy, just trying to see where people are and try to accept them where they're at, because that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. Yeah. And I look at the world today and I really think that that's all anybody wants. And, and we don't have it anymore. Everybody's got their head down in a phone or on an iPad and, and, and uh, I say everybody and my, my hand is up for that sometimes too. And we don't have the relationships. You know, when computers came, they said, oh, we'll have relationships all around the world. And we don't, we, we have friends and I'll put my little quotations here for those that can't see it. But we have friends, but they're not really friends. They're, they're not, there's no relationship there. It's just, a, I see that face on the internet. And we, we, people are hungry for a relationship. Well, I think when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, I love myself quite a bit. Yeah. I have trouble liking myself sometimes, but I, there's nothing I wouldn't do for me. <laughs> right? right? Right. But then we look at our neighbors and we say, well, I pray for you or I love you, but Would are we do? any good at doing it? Yeah. And I'm not claiming that I'm there, but I, I want to see people and I want to reach into their life in a tangible way because I think that's what Jesus wants. And when we, we you and I at lunch, we're talking about Acts chapter 242 and, and I'm getting ready to preach on the fellowship part. That's what it was. Right. They were doing life together yeah and i would love for my church to be that and i think they do a good, some of my folks do a really good job but if if there was more churches like that we wouldn't have as much trouble getting people through the door it's true because if we were living out the love of jesus people would see it and they would want to be there and so you know i, I i'm i'm a i, I like just almost every kind of worship service you can go to today. Uh, I admit I'm older and real loud. I don't, I, I have a hard time with that. Uh, but I'm a baby boomer and you know, I, I grew up with, with loud music and all, but, but I, I really am looking when I walk into church, I'm, I'm looking to, to meet people. And really, I strongly believe that people who go to church today are not looking for, um, they're not looking at them. If they may like the real loud music, or they may like the, they may like southern gospel, but when they walk into your building, the music isn't going to matter to them. What's going to matter to them is somebody going to say, "Hey, my name is. You want to sit with us? We're going out to eat lunch afterwards. You want to go eat lunch with us? Or we're having a." get together at my house, would you come? That's what people are looking for. I think it's huge. Yeah. I think I, after I left Richmond, I was in other situations. Actually, the next place I was, was with Greg and Lori Strickland in South Haven, Mississippi for a while. You see that every time we talk and that comes up, I think, oh yeah, I forgot. You were, you were in, in church with them. Tell, yeah. tell us about that, how you met them and a uh, pretty interesting story. Um, God had sent a guy to us named Wendell that had been friends with Greg and he played the guitar and of course Greg's a musical guy. And were you still in Richmond? I was still in Richmond and, and Wendell came to us from Christview. I guess he'd been an elder there or a deacon or something along those lines right. in leadership. And he and Greg were pretty close. So 
uh, when he found out that I was thinking about going to the Memphis area, he said, you ought to get out and check out this church in North Mississippi. I think you'd like the minister. So we were going to a national uh, Christian Leaders Convention, I guess, in Louisville. Yeah. At uh, Southeast. And we all met for lunch, and I got to meet uh, Greg for the first time. And so when we moved down there, I just went down on a random day, and we were sitting on the stage, and he started playing uh, some music. And I said, hey, give me this chord progression. It turned out to be the bell song that he likes. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's called I Will Not Forget. And um, me and Wendell used to sing that song together a lot. And I sat there and sang that with Greg and just spent some time with them. And as anybody knows, you know, Greg, he's... Um, pretty easygoing guy to get to know, but then when you throw music in there, he's always excited about oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, we were singing together a little bit and enjoying each other's company, and he says, well, you ought to come down to church and hang out with us. And so I came to church there for a couple of weeks and started to grow knowing the folks there. And Greg said, um, you know, uh, ain't no sense in me doing all this music stuff if you want to help. And I think it kind of helped him along. And there's my nature of trying to be that guy that fits into a spot wherever he's needed. And Greg and could use the help because Greg, Greg was doing everything. Wasn't he, he was doing everything. He was yeah. preaching. He was leading the youth. He yeah. was um, singing. Um, that had to be a lot, um, yeah. leading the praise band. And so um, over time, as folks got to know me and trust me, he was able to step back from some of those responsibilities. They actually hired me as the part-time youth minister gave me a little bit of money to help supplement my income and yeah. uh, I ended up being the janitor too I was cleaning toilets and telling people about Jesus and just doing whatever and it wasn't really I saw it as a job it was just an opportunity to serve the Lord the best I could and I needed the money so yeah. it, it became a double blessing and then I met friends that I still have to this day they've come and done worship services with me they've come and done revivals for me and, and it's just a blessing whenever they're around um, and the humorous thing was the first time he offered to do a revival for me, I told him it wouldn't work. <laughs> I told him nobody'd come. Um, Where you're at now. Yeah. But we've had three or four revivals and it was a pretty good result. Um, yeah. So yeah. how long were you at South Haven? I ended up being there five years um, when Greg and Lori were called to a different ministry. The plan, and it's funny because some of these guys are going to hear this and you know, the plan was that me and the elders were going to share the pulpit and I would preach once a month, but that turned into twice a month and sometimes all the month. <laughs> but I didn't mind it because I enjoyed, you know, doing it. I love those people. Um, and my dad got really sick. Um, his gallbladder ruptured and he didn't go to the hospital for like over 24 hours. And that's pretty poisonous to your system. And yeah. My mom needed help, and I had to come back to the valley, back to the Ohio Valley after that. Um, so it pained me to leave a lot of those folks, but uh, it was it was great to get the opportunity to do some ministry there, and they treated me treated me well and with respect. And I, I still miss some of those folks. They're they're very good people. They were good they're friends. They're good people. Good people. We have a good relationship with them to this day. And and I've known some of them since they were in Bible college because there were several in that church. In leadership, attended Bible College at Mid South Christian College, and I knew them when they were students. And I was a very young preacher, and uh, at least one of the elders I knew when he was a teenager, still in, in, at home and in, in his parents' home in Arkansas. 
So uh, we go way back with a lot of them and uh, not as close to them as you were or Greg because we never spent that much time with them, but we know them, you know, and they're just good folks, good people there. Uh, so you move back up here to this area, which is, uh, it's Ohio near the panhandle of West Virginia and not far from Pennsylvania. <laughs> kind of all. I tease people, I say in five minutes I can be in three different states. Yep. And they're like, no. I'm like, yeah, I used to do it every day when I went to work at the airport. <laughs> I'd leave Ohio, drive through West Virginia. You could be through the panhandle in about four minutes. Right. And then the next thing you know, you're in Pennsylvania. And um, I was, my normal routine, I was just jumping in and helping churches wherever I could. Um, did some youth ministry work in some places. Uh, did a lot of worship leading and music. Uh, stuff. But um, while I was in the process of doing that, um, a church called me up. There were twin brothers that were going to two different churches. And the one at the church downtown Toronto heard me preach and told his brother, his twin brother, up on the hill, we have a guy down here that's, uh, I don't remember the exact story, but um, he said, we think you might enjoy hearing him preach. So I went up to New Somerset thinking I was going for two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I thought I was helping a church that was struggling. I was going to make a little bit of um, money to, to help pay some bills. And I thought I was going for two weeks. And uh, one of the ladies, after the second week I was there, she said, you're going to be our preacher. I know it. And I responded kind of like I did to the guy at the baptism story. No, lady, you're in the wrong spot here. You're talking <laughs> to the wrong guy. And um, two weeks has turned into nine and a half years. Mm. Um, church was just like a handful of people, a little more than a handful of people, maybe. I'd say maybe the first Sunday I was there, there might have been 12. Um, mm. When I was there for a little bit of regular time, maybe 17 or 18. Yeah. Um, and I was just, it was on a week to week thing. They'd come back to me after every service. Would you like to come back next week? And I just thought their preacher was sick and that he was going to get over the <laughs> flu or typhoid or whatever he had. And they didn't tell me when they said sick that his, his heart was failing and he was, he passed. Oh. Um, and from what I understand, he was a really good man. Um, and they, they cared about him. He was there for several years. Um, but I don't know if they or I intended that relationship to last more than a few weeks. Um, but I just kind of kept going back and they kept kind of inviting me and and so it kind of started there. And I had no idea um, that the relationships I formed that day uh, would last the rest of some of those folks' lives. Yeah. And um, one of the men, I said this at his memorial service not too long ago, I walked in the door and I said, if anybody's going to give me trouble, it's going to be that guy. And he turned out to be my best friend. And the way it works out. Um, yeah. he, he was close. And uh, he loved me and I loved him. And at his funeral, I said, I was right. He's giving me a lot of trouble right now. Yeah. Because I don't know what I'm going to do without him. And that's what God does sometimes. He puts us in a place and he hooks us up with people that we might never meet any other way. And he does incredible stuff. And we've gone from those 12 or 15 people to a whole lot different. So uh, when you first brought up the idea of having a revival, 
we don't always talk about rock solid revivals on this one, but you brought it up. So, yeah. uh, and I've not been there. Uh, there are churches I've been to that Greg's not been to, and, and a lot of times it's because of relationships I've made there. And, and this is the case with the new Somerset. Though I, I have seen your facilities, and they're just beautiful, beautiful building there. I've seen the pictures that Greg has posted. And, and, uh, uh, and I, we should say you live in Steubenville, and this is where I'm holding revival. We're uh, recording this in, in late October of 2023. And so we always see it revivals in this mm-hmm. area and, and, and uh, good opportunity for us to get together. But uh, anyway, because your relationship with Greg, that you made that connection, he's in the one doing the revivals there. Tell me about that when you decide to give it a try or Greg said, let's try it and you weren't too sure. Being the, being the optimist you are. The eternal optimist, yes. <laughs> Everything's gonna work out fine. That's what I try to tell myself. Um, the joke with me is if there was a Olympic team for worry, that I would at least make the trials. Um, if something can go wrong, I've already got it figured out 45 minutes before it could happen, you know. Um, that's my spiritual gift, worry. Um, I don't think that's on the list. Um, he kept bringing it up, and I just kept thinking it wouldn't work. So um, one time he was up here at one of the churches, maybe West Liberty or uh, one of the local churches. And I said, well, why don't you just come up for a night of worship? And so a Thursday night after they'd finished revival, they came up and spent an evening with us. And we sang together for an hour and we let him present the word a little bit. And our people enjoyed it. So I said, you know, let's give it a shot. And you guys had a cancellation, maybe like, that was, I can't remember what month, I'm wanting to think it was May around my birthday. And he had a cancellation in September, and he called me in like August and said, we ought to try this. And I says, I says well, what's the fewest people you've ever had? Yeah. Because that was my goal. I just wanted to beat that. You, you wanted to stay <laughs> I just figured if I could beat that five or whatever he said, then, then I'd feel okay. Um, so I, I sold my people on it. I said, listen, I said, it's an opportunity to come and, and hear the word and hear it presented by somebody different and see if we can be revived so i put my heart into it i really did uh, we made signs and put stuff on the internet made postcards and sent them out and i said god whoever you send you're gonna send and i make it sound like i was so calm you know i wasn't yeah. um but they came and they were encouraged and i think god did some things there and i think the first year we actually had a baptism and somebody come forward as a rededication and it was neat because it was it allowed my church a lot of them that's probably the only church they'd ever been to we have one lady that's 97 and that's probably the only church she's ever been a member of and um my joke is the building still looks the same Uh, (laughs) but it's a beautiful it's a beautiful place um they've kept it up wonderfully um but i didn't know but it, it it gave us an opportunity to do something a little different and to hear hear the word from a different perspective and it was so easy. If there's churches out there that haven't had you guys, um, if you're willing to work hard at it, uh, the evangelists, they do it. They preach. They teach. And it gives the, the preacher an opportunity to sit yeah. back and hear the word and be encouraged or have somebody around that they can bounce ideas off of. And, and, and we need that. I, I get that so rarely coming here this week. You know, with, uh, the Melton family was singing at a church on Saturday night and they had a guest speaker in at Hooverson Heights over here in West Virginia. Or over in West Virginia, and 
Now we're in we're in West we're Virginia, in West Virginia we're right in, now. I get confused because you know <laughs> I, I can I, I can I can throw a baseball just about and hit uh, hit Pennsylvania and 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 you know this isn't Ohio but you can see it from here and uh, but we we were over here staying in the motel so we said Beth and I said let's why don't we go to revival tonight <laughs> so we went and it was so nice to sit and just listen that was our that was our job for the night to let someone else teach us and I, everybody needs that it's great to go hey everybody welcome it's good to see this we got snacks downstairs they're gonna do this now and just go sit down what was your let me ask you was your was your church receptive to the idea when you said we can do a revival in september they were i'd been there long enough to where they trusted me yeah and, and um there was probably some apprehension as there would be with anything new sure um but I think, you know, not to make this a commercial for Rock Solid because that's not what we're doing, but I thought yeah. it was great. And I actually wrote an article in the newsletter there telling yeah. people that I thought it was great because... Yeah. Back when we used to do those emails, e e yeah. which we don't do anymore, but, but it was a good article. I remember that. But yeah. it was just, it was, it was nice for your ministers and your leadership to just sit back and get to hear a different perspective and be encouraged. Uh, that's why whenever you guys are in town, I love getting together and eating lunch and just talking about what God's doing. And, yeah. And that ministry and, and being encouraged because it's it's we need that. Well, uh, you know, when you went there, there you, you might have had twelve people, and your first revival. How many did you actually? You, you beat that record of Greg's of, of of like five people or. Oh yeah, we were we were in the twenties, maybe thirties, which for us was pretty impressive. Now this was several years in, of course, and the attendance had grown, but. Um, it's 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 nice because not only your church but you encourage folks from other churches to come and other yeah. preachers also get to come and be encouraged and strengthened and so it doesn't just benefit your church it benefits well, a lot of folks was greg back this year or was it last fall or was it greg was just back about three or four weeks ago we just had a revival <laughs> see we're, we're going so many different directions it's hard for me to remember where everybody's been and how how was your attendance for that was this the second or third time greg this been? was the third okay and how how was that well it was good yeah. It was good. We probably ran 35 or 40 a yeah. night. It was your church is running much better now as far as attendance. Well, like I said, when I first started there, there was maybe 12 or 14 people. Um, we run anywhere from the high 40s to sometimes 60. Yeah. Um, so, and you didn't intend but be there two weeks. Yeah, I, this is the longest two weeks I've spent in my life. It feels like <laughs> 10 years. Uh, but I, I think I started in the, right after Father's Day in 2014 was the first Sunday I came there. And because um, I remember the second or third sermon in my, in my Dropbox was a 4th of July sermon. Uh -huh. And I always put the church name um, under the, the date. Right. So um, it was 2014 and that was a blessing because my mom was so proud um, that I had become a, a preacher. And um, unfortunately, she died a few months later, but I was glad she got to see that. So let me ask you this about, uh, you've been in ministry now since, not, well, really, you went to Bible college in 1990, is that right? Yeah, or, and got involved probably the semester after I got there. So, so fall of 90 would have been when I first got involved with ministry on an irregular basis. So you're, you're coming on close to 30 years. Of, yeah. of actual preaching ministry, youth and preaching ministry. Mm -hmm. um, 
It's changed a lot, hasn't it, in those 30 years? Yeah. Yeah, it has. Uh, uh, the church has changed, the world has changed, and uh, the world's view of the church in this country that used oh. to be a very positive view has changed. I, I, I'm going to say that I remember growing up that when, when a, if a young man became a Christian, everybody was happy for him. Even his atheist neighbor was happy because the atheist neighbor knew now he's going to be a better neighbor because he's a Christian. I don't believe like that, but he's this good. This is not the case nowadays. No. And, and uh, uh, so I, what I want to ask you, just kind of here near the end of our, our visit, visit, and uh, what do you believe to be the, the greatest challenges facing the church, Christians, or ministry, or all three of them going forward from today? And I know that I'm just, I haven't thrown this question out in, in, in several of my podcasts lately, but I, I would like to ask you, what do you, what do you see as a great challenge? Uh, maybe not the greatest, but a great challenge that's ahead of us now or that we're facing at this time. I guess in my mind, the big word is authenticity. Authenticity. Just yeah. doing it because that's what God wants us to do, you know, not through programs, not through all these other things, just through loving people and, and reading the Bible. Yeah. You know, because people say, what are you doing out there? Why is it growing? I'm like, we're just loving people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I told Cody this and I said this to somebody else just recently. We're living in a world where beauty queens are jumping out of windows because they don't, they don't feel loved. They don't feel appreciated. They don't feel seen. That's right. And I think folks just want to be seen and heard and acknowledged and loved for who they are. Yep. And I think that's the biblical love of Jesus. When I preach, I always tell people, I'm so glad I'm a whosoever. Right. Because the Bible says, whoever would believe in his name can be saved. Right. You know, and I think that's the message that the world does, that needs to hear. Not, I'll get my life straightened out and then I'll find Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. No. If I could straighten my life out, I wouldn't need Jesus. That's truth. Yeah. And accepting the fact that people are going to be broken, people are going to be frustrating, but so were we. Yeah. We've, we've all been there. Every, every one of us, I, I'm, I like to tell people in church, all of us have been where you're at. And some of us are still there. But we all got here at the foot of the cross. And that's where we have to start, is at the foot of the cross. And if people could just understand that, we don't have to start at church. We have to start at Jesus, at the foot of the cross. And the church will help you get there if that's where you need to be. Or, uh, or your friend who is a Christian who goes to church will help you find your way there. And it may be through the church or it may be through their example and they're busy with you. But we've all got to get to the foot of the cross. And we're going we're gonna to feel lonely and unloved and that we don't have a place, like you said for yourself earlier, because these are all burdens we carry on our back. And those burdens don't drop off till we get to the cross. And then some people, once they get there, repack a few of them and carry them along for a while <laughs> because they, 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 they're not not quite ready to turn that loose and say, I, I, I really believe that that can be gone. But 
I think what you're telling us today is um, biggest challenge is to bring Jesus to the people. Yeah, I, I, when you hear people talk about, you should come to church with me because of this, or you should come to church with me because of that. You should come to church with me because that's where Jesus is at. That's right. We're all broke. We're all messed up. People call us hypocrites. Well, yeah, because we're not there yet. Yeah. But if we're all there walking together, looking for this Jesus and, and seeing what he, how he can change our lives. I thought I was the only one. Yeah. I thought I was the only one that was broke. I thought yeah. I was the only one that was feeling lost and invisible. Everybody else looked like they had it together, didn't they? Yeah. And I thought they did, and they showed up to church with their church clothes on, and I thought they had it all yeah. set up, but they were struggling with the same things I was. I just couldn't see it. I, I'm, I'm always telling people, you know, you look around the church building, and you find the, the man or woman that you admire the most as the Christian that has it all together, and I guarantee you they're struggling with something even now, and that they still need Jesus. They don't have it together because they hadn't got Jesus, they got Jesus because they hadn't got it together. And, and we're all still struggling. And don't ever think that ever, anybody's better than you. Some are more mature because they've been at it longer. And they've, maybe they worked harder at it, at, at maturing in Christ and getting to know Christ better. But we all are struggling on that same road. And, and uh, let's respect each other. Let's love each other and realize that this guy over here, he's not the same point on the road I'm on. He may be way ahead of me or quite a ways behind me, but let's, let's uh, either try to catch up with the one ahead or reach back and grab some and pull them up with us as we're going. Well, we got anything else to share today? My big thing was I always felt like I wasn't good enough or I didn't measure up or whatever. And they talked about people being arrogant. And I was like, well, that's not my problem. <laughs> you know, I, it was the other way around. But somebody pointed this out to me and it stuck with me. Whether you think too highly of yourself or if you think too lowly of yourself, you got to be careful not to spend too much time thinking about yourself because it's not about you. Right. And, and so that's the balance that I look for in my life now. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and do I know him and am I seeking to serve him in what I'm doing. And even if what I'm doing isn't good enough, he'll make it good enough. Because there was a lot of people in the Bible that didn't measure up, that ended up being great preachers, not because of maybe themselves, but in spite of themselves. Absolutely. And so that's the encouragement I try to give myself is that, hey, Bozo, it's not all about you. It's about what Jesus can do through you and it's the loaves and fish, the little boy, he brought you know, a few loaves and a few fish. It wasn't about what he had, it was about what God could do with what he had. That's and right. So that's, if I have any wisdom, that's it. Well, I think there's a lot of wisdom. I, I, we just need to remember that God takes that, which people, the world thinks is foolish and worth nothing. And he makes, he shows them the wisdom in it and he makes them something because of himself. And uh, that's, the, that's the mystery made known to us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, uh, and that's Bible, brother. <laughs> that's Bible. Well, I want to thank you for being on our program today, Rob. It's been really good to get to know more about you. And, and uh, I, I just appreciate you taking time 
Appreciate you eating lunch with me today too. That was, that was good that lunch. Was nice. I like that. Uh, we got to make th make that a habit anytime I'm in the area. Um, well, this concludes another Frontline Servants program. Keep listening for more programs like this, as well as our Just Preaching and Just Music programs. And would you do something for us, listeners? If this program has been an encouragement to you, tap the like and follow buttons. Share it with your friends and co-workers in Christ. Leave a comment, rate the program, and maybe even share the link on your social media site. We would certainly appreciate that. Until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye, and may God pour down His blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.